My name's Martin Lloyd Evans, I'm the director. I'm Alison Langer, I play Norina in Il Pazzi per Progetto. I'm Lawrence Thackeray, I'm Gerard, the dancing master in The Dancing Master. So shall I talk a little bit about the pieces? The two one-act comedies, uh, separated by about 120 years. The Patsy Pepper by Donizetti is um, one of Donizetti's many one-act comedies, written in about 1830, um, and written as a real sort of pot-boiler audience entertainer sort of number, written in the classical bel canto style, which was written specifically to show off the singers. So when they have arias, for example, they uh, it's really written for the performers you had of the day. So, and it's really written for the, the singers are very exposed in the singing all the orchestration is there to provide a sort of backdrop and then all the fireworks are in the vocal line um, and the idea is that it would be written for the company of the day uh, to play to their strengths and they would have delivered performances that would have had their fans and their audiences uh, very excited was the, was the basic principle and there's even a little joke in it that's talking about a singer who went off to Naples it was clearly a gag about the particular singer who was singing that role. It doesn't uh, quite read 200 years later, but there you go. So, um, and Patsy's basically, it's all, it's all set in a, um, uh, a psychiatric institute, or, or loony bin, as Donizetti would probably have called it. Uh, and basically, it's all surrounding the activities of Narina, played by Ali, uh, who's married to a colonel in the army, and they've been estranged for three years, only after two or three months of marriage because of his postings in the army. And basically the two of them end up appearing at this Institute of Psychiatry, um, Narina, because her uncle runs it and she's looking for some help and support. And Blackval, her husband, because he's got post-traumatic stress syndrome and he's come to the one place he thinks can help cure him. And anyway, the two, husband and wife, sort of see each other, but they have reasons to believe each other has been unfaithful. Uh, and to try and winkle the truth out of each other, they each pretend to be mad, try and find out what the other one was really up to. And in the end, of course, they discover that they, it was just the jealous jealous ravings on both their parts, and they right. have a very happy coming together at the end. Meanwhile, there, there, there's, there's a sort of subplot between a, a deserter um, a trumpeter from a regiment who's in Blancard's regiment, who's, uh, who's on the run and trying to flog dodgy pills. Homeopathy. He's a homeopathist, um, uh, and he gets uh, involved with this another young woman called Christina, who's a, a young ward with a large legacy, who uh, whose guardian is trying to get her put away so that he can get his hands on her money. So we have these two plots that become intertwined, all set in this, all, all set in this asylum. So that's sort of in Patsy, sort of broadly. Mm. And so how does like the bel canto style then, does it give you a chance to indulge and kind of show yourself off to the best of your ability, I would imagine? It, yeah, it does. It definitely does. And that's been something that I've definitely taken as a massive learning curve throughout this whole thing because it's about taking that opportunity to really show off and mm. just like we said yesterday to take the ownership of it all and it's such a specific style musically that to be able to do that you have to really understand and go through every single note and be really disciplined in the learning of it yeah and then it comes you know but because this is my I've never done a bal canto role ever so it's been a really amazing mind you know it's because it's amazing what it can do to your to affect the way you sing because mm. it can be like you have to take control and have the confidence and I'm I've never done that before so this so I'm looking forward to seeing what will happen on the opening night yeah I mean the, the bel canto thing is I mean one of the things that, that, that an audience will hear is there's um, in in 
Anderson sings two arias, uh, and in both of them there's a, there are a lot of decorations, there are a lot mm. of cadenzas and decorations which the singers choose partly in consultation with the conductor and partly on their own, sort of working out what they want to do to show off. It's and it's really written to show off the voice, but also the other way that it works really well is as a, it's a really good sort of emotional telltale of what's going on inside the character. And the point of the cadenzas is it enables you to really feel it's sort of like the operatic version of a primal scream of what's really going on deep down inside the character. Mm. So this is a sort of fantastic opportunity for the singers to, as Alice saying, to really take responsibility for their performances and not be serving something in a in a c- cultural over-reverential fashion, but to mm. really make something of it, I think. Which is quite different to the other piece, which is the Dancing <laughs> Master, um, Malcolm Arnold, which was written in 1953, and as well as there was sort of um, what what dubbed itself as the world premiere, but it was sort of semi-staged in Northampton in about 2012, I think it was. This is pretty certainly, I think, the first fully staged uh, performance of the Dancing Master ever. And I think, as we've all discovered, we're going on. It's quite unbelievable that it isn't done more often. It's a bit of a cliche to say about these pieces that we do here sometimes that aren't well known, but it is an extraordinarily well written piece. It was based on a restoration played by William Witchley. The restoration was sort of the, the, the style of drama, style of ent- public entertainment that happened after the monarchy had uh, recovered, uh, recovered the throne from Cromwell's grasp. And the court of King Charles and the effect on society, they were quite ribald, they were lusty, bawdy, there was a huge sort of... Uh, it was a time of real hedonism and celebration of vice one sort or another and restoration comedies absolutely capture that sense of vice so a lot of the plots are about people having affairs people falling in love inappropriately and they're quite strong on the on the sexual content is quite strong in the William Witchley the, the gentleman dancing master the play was called it's perhaps not quite as ribald as some of them but it's all about people falling in love uh, with the wrong person at the wrong time um, and unlike it's not bel canto it's where it's hugely different to be patsy from a singing point of view and dramatically it's this fantastic what arnold's done so well is it's a fantastic mixed genre it is a comedy we have these extreme characters in it this guy called monsieur who's betrothed to miranda the heroine um and he's a someone who's completely caught up with french fashion so he does everything french style even though he's from london um uh, so you have that sort of uh, comedia-esque buffo character like him and Miranda's dad, Don Diego, who thinks he's very Spanish. He's also from London, but he's very Spanish. He, he loves everything Spanish. Um, and so Miranda's surrounded by these ridiculous people, into which steps Gerard, who's just sort of a normal bloke, really, but rather a charming, normal bloke. And what the piece does so well is it sort of bootstraps these extreme characters with a really touching, genuine building of a relationship between Miranda and Gerard. Mm. And the way that's captured in the orchestration is absolutely stunning. It's quite extraordinary the way it does that. I mean, a lot of the music you have, we yeah. talked the day about the violins. That I'm quite lucky, really, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of beautiful string writing uh, that is affiliated with Gerard's character. And, uh, you know, it's the, the, the score itself, the instrumentation, is a bit of a mixed bag. 
as Martin's saying, you know, there's some great brass parts. There's some parts that could even pass for, uh, like, jazz music or dinner jazz music. There's mm. one duet in particular that uh, we've seen that, uh, or we've read that Arnold was a bit of an exuberant character in his everyday life, and this is definitely an exuberant score. Mm. Uh, it's got a bit of everything in there, but my character is lucky, or I think he's lucky, in that he's got this beautiful string writing under him, and real romantic stuff, both in the uh, melancholy and also very uh, happy and engaging and loving string writing underneath him, and it's, it's a real joy to, to get that beneath you and to to enjoy that yeah. both on stage and to sing with it. So to kind of give me an insight into your role and things, mm. have you been preparing and have you been looking a lot at the orchestration and what kind of personal work have you been doing to prepare yourself? Well, we did a bit of look at uh, restoration comedies and um, a lot of this role, not a lot of the piece, not my role so much, but a lot of the piece is about what happens when things are suppressed or repressed and then the reaction to that. Mm. So even insofar as restoration comedy coming after the Puritan age where the theatres were closed, uh, and then all of a sudden King Charles II came in, opened the theatres, and things were all out there. Lust was allowed on the stage, and there were lots, like Martin was saying, lots of stories about sex and lust and people getting together with people they wouldn't normally be paired with. And in this story, uh, Miranda has been kept in her house for... A year, not, not allowed to go outside, not allowed to see men. Uh, and so the, the idea behind that, for her keeper, Miss Caution, is keep her in the house. She can't go off and fall in love with anyone else. She will end up with the person she's supposed to be oh, with. Oh, we all know that but, would never work. Yeah, <laughs> that just, but that just builds up, that just builds up her, her repressing that lifestyle even more. And Miranda mm. has this fire inside her. And Gerard sees that and he sees her from afar and he falls instantly in love with her. Uh, but coming back to personal preparation, if you like, uh, it's more been the idea of how to play comedies. And the important thing, we were talking about it yesterday, is not being aware that you're in a comedy. Yeah. And playing everything completely truthfully to the, you know, like it's... You're never playing for a gag. But it's been so much fun to work on because we we laugh all the time at what the people, you know, trying different things out and... It, it, that's no guarantee that the audience are going to sit there and find it funny but you know the idea and the preparation behind what we've been doing is that if we approach things completely truthfully and never play for gags then hopefully people will enjoy themselves and there are some fantastically flamboyant characters in the piece and they're being played really well by some of my, fellow, my colleagues and uh, yeah I think it should be an entertaining evening well then hopefully there'll be many more performances to come across the UK of things well yeah maybe not this production but um, I mean one of the things that of course we hope and it's a bit of a cliche set but we hope that the, the some of the companies pick it up because it's um, it's a piece that really deserves to be heard because it's it's a really good night out. It's a really good night out because you get this rich orchestration, you get these really entertaining situations, great characters. What what more can you ask for really? So um, I I be I really hope that in two or three years we see one of the big companies who've come along to see this go. Mm. Yeah, maybe we should be programming that. Actually, the other thing that's interesting, I mean, Lawrence mentioned it, is that Arnold Kazan himself was quite a colourful character. Very charming man, apparently, and he suffered from depression and 
he had a difficult relationship with alcohol. But there's a thing about the character that Lawrence plays, we discover about two-thirds of the way through, we meet this charming young man, and we discover he's actually got a huge back catalogue of relationships, just when we're all beginning to trust him and fall in love with him. And then, you get, and then he has this other duet with Miranda when she says um, uh, she believes he's, he's after her money, and, uh, which he isn't at all. And he, in a very heartfelt way, says, no, 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 I, I love you. And you can hear this fantastic thing of this young man, although he's had a lot of experience with women, clearly, when he's in love with someone, he really means it. Mm-hmm. And I find, I find it really, really easy to connect that biographically to Arnold's life, the sense of, well, there may have been all that stuff on, but the point is that he's honest in his feelings, he's really sincere in what he believes. I think of him a little bit like <coughs> one of those wind-up toys that you wind up on the little wheels, you wind it up and then it goes. Insofar as he's had these different women before, but he's never played them, he's never been manipulative to them. Mm. I think he's one of these guys that goes around life, sees someone or sees something, falls for it, gets wound up, off, the wheels go, and uh, off. Yeah. And then when it doesn't work for one reason or other, the wheels run out, it runs out, wind up again, go. And it's complete. I think he's always honest. Yeah. And uh, But it's an, it's really enjoyable character play to play because of that. He's not playing people, he's just himself, and what you see is what you get with him. And he's completely honest with Miranda the whole time. He comes in, before he, they've even met, he says... I love you, I've seen you from across the street, I think you're the most beautiful person in the world, this is how I feel, this is how it is, this is what's going to happen. And there's something quite, well, hugely confident about that, and uh, it's uh, definitely a ten apart. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely a ten apart. <laughs> the other thing, perhaps the thing we should mention is it's conducted by Dominic Wheeler, head of opera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, Dominic chose the pieces as well. Um, the, the dancing master, in fact, was recommended to Clive Timms, Dominic's predecessor, and Clive passed it on to Dominic, and eventually Dominic sort of had a, found a place for it. But um, uh, other, other little things, the designer's Yanis, well, it's not a little thing, designer's Yanis Tavoris, who we're really lucky to have, it's a fantastic designer. And what we try to do is try, because the first piece is about incarceration in a lunatic asylum, and the second piece is about a young woman who's caught inside a... She's trapped in this house for a year, waiting to be married off to this hideous monsieur, and about how she finds freedom, how she breaks out from those walls at the end. And Yams has done a wonderful thing in the design about how we subliminally support that in the in the design world. Um, and it's lit by Richard Howell, who's a former... Uh, student on the technical theatre course here as well is now um, very busy professional lighting designers. It's been very nice to make contact with Richard again and get uh, uh, work with him. Um, and they look gorgeous, I'd say. Looks really gorgeous. The Dancing Master, sort of written in 1953, is in theory set in the late 17th century. Um, and the Donizetti was contemporary, so in theory, sort of 1820, 1830 in, in Paris. And what, what Mignanis thought was there was a way of linking them, because the, the, the spirit of the dancing masters very much got a feel of the 1950s, mm. the sense of like youth culture, of uh, dangerous young men challenging patriarchal society, all that sort of stuff. So take, we took the dancing masters' cue and set that in the 1950s absolutely in the time of writing, it just sort of feels right, you can see it in Gerald's costume particularly. Mm. Um, uh, and then from there we thought, oh, so do we really want to go to an 1830s lunatic asylum? And, and we thought probably not, and in a way to try and connect the pieces. So we set both pieces in the 1950s, uh, the 
Patsy as well, and Patsy Per Progetto is the first one uh, of the evening, the first one that's performed. So he said that in the 1950s, and we see Gerard um, Lawrence, Lawrence. <laughs> plays the patient along with a couple of the others, Miranda and Monsieur characters, they're patients in the Lindsay Asylum. And we see them doing things that are little echoes of what then happens in The Dancing Master. So there's this slight feeling that The Dancing Master, without being too heavy-handed about it, mm. is a sort of a show put on by the patients in the asylums. There's a little through, through line of props and the dancing and stuff yeah. that goes on. Um, so we've done that to try again to try and make the pieces sort of speak to each other. So it's not just two completely separate things, but yeah. an evening where the two pieces sort of rub up against each other, and you get something interesting out of their relationship. 